You're listening to the PCOS Collective, the podcast that helps you manage your PCOS symptoms without restriction. I'm your host, Alex Williams, a registered associate nutritionist who specializes in PCOS management and food freedom. Before we get started, a quick message from this season's sponsor. This season of the PCOS Collective is sponsored by Time Health. Time Health produce UK-made, high-quality inositol supplements for people with PCOS. Keep listening to learn more about Time Health's inositol products and for an exclusive discount code for listeners of the PCOS Collective. everybody, welcome to today's podcast. I'm joined today by Dr. Rachel Evans, who is a psychologist Mm -hmm. um, and a hypnotherapist who specializes in eating disorder recovery. Rachel combines talking therapy, rapid transformational therapy and holistic support. Hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, thank you for having me. No problem at all. It's lovely to have you here. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you do and uh, yeah, the work that you do with your clients? Yeah, so I am a psychologist, um, which sometimes people get scared about. Sometimes they're like, can you read my mind? I can't read your mind. Um, But I can can help you understand what is going on for you now. um, If you are struggling with eating um, in terms of, you know, any underlying factors, any conscious beliefs, subconscious beliefs um, that we get into more in the hypnotherapy side of things. Um, So I really help people, support people to understand where they are if they have got an eating disorder or eating distress and then what tools and techniques can they use to start to change things what would recovery look like um for them so I suppose that's what I do um also go on Instagram and do all the other kind of (laughs) businessy stuff when I'm not doing one-to-ones amazing and why did you decide to specialize in eating disorder recovery yeah so I am very open I had an eating disorder myself um I was already kind of on the psychology path at that time but I didn't really know what to specialize in or if I was going to specialize um I actually wanted to do educational psychology um, Mm -hmm. and work with children with special needs um but then I didn't really have enough work experience to pursue that at master's so I decided to do a master's in health psychology um which is kind of looking I suppose the thing is like how can we help people be healthier or improve their health so prevent diseases or support people if they do have a health issue and I kind of found myself immersed in the world of clean eating Mm -hmm. at that time I I was already interested in food I'd already been on various diets which that's not going into all of that that's a thing in itself um but I was just reading a lot about health and, and I suddenly got all these beliefs like well no sugar is better than no sugar and just started to really fixate on what I was eating which then over the course of a few years turned into a restrictive eating disorder followed by binge eating followed by bulimia that I would make myself sick and um, when I'd done that and when I'd had the binge which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about what is a binge mm-hmm. um and yeah I think after recovering from that I was just really passionate about helping other people because I've almost got that inside understanding Mm -hmm. as well and I recognize my clients are individuals what they're going through is different but I've got some kind of other insight as opposed to just a professional um knowledge and training now as Mm -hmm. well um so yeah that's why (laughs) amazing thank you for being so honest um it's really really interesting to hear 
a bit more about your eating disorder and, and I think it is I think you're so right it does give you that kind of insight and you're able to help your clients on a, a much deeper level I think when you've been there yourself um so let's talk a little bit about eating disorders a bit more generally so we know people with PCOS um are more likely to have an eating disorder specifically bulimia and binge eating disorder do you mind just defining those two um disorders for us I think we hear a lot about anorexia and less about these um eating disorders yeah so I'm gonna start with binge eating actually because then I think once we understand that then we can understand bulimia easier so a binge is defined as eating a large quantity of food more than most people in those circumstances so what that means is it's not like Christmas day when most people are probably going to overeat or maybe if you go to like a carvery or something and most people eat more than usual Mm -hmm. um so it's eating that larger quantity um often people will experience this loss of control around eating so sometimes people say they almost feel like they've gone on autopilot and they've not realized kind of what they've eaten until they've finished like say a bag of sharing bag of crisps or whatever the thing is and also I'm going to use a few examples and just to say if you feel like your behavior is more extreme than this or less extreme than this it doesn't mean that you're not struggling it's just for the purpose of an example about Mm -hmm. the automatic that you've not realized it's happened until you've finished that packet um so yeah there's that kind of out of control that you just zone out or you kind of numb out at that point but also it might be that you're thinking I should stop now but you almost feel like compelled to keep eating and you're thinking okay I should stop at this but I'm going to have something else and something else often these binges are going to happen when someone is not physically hungry so you've recognized that maybe you've met your energy needs that you're not getting those hunger signals I'm not sure if we talked about um, hunger signals on the podcast before but it's all it's sometimes people might describe it as emotional eating which is a separate thing mm-hmm. as well it might not be in the quantity but it could be eating in response to emotions and often comes with a lot of guilt and shame about the behavior because maybe you don't understand what's happening you don't think other people would understand maybe you've got a lot of diet rules that you're trying to follow and this behavior is like the entirely opposite um Often people eat quite fast when they're having a binge or eat in secret, but it's not always the case. Um, So that's kind of the overview of what is a binge, what is binge eating. Um, And then if it's classified in terms of binge eating disorder, it would be the frequency Mm -hmm. that this is happening for you. Um, And obviously don't self-diagnose, obviously um, get support or a second opinion. Um, So bulimia is when people would have this binge and then compensate and we call them like inappropriate compensation strategies um so that might be making yourself vomit which people often think is like a get out of jail free card because to be slightly I'm like is this too much but when you (laughs) see the contents in the toilet you think oh hooray I've got rid of it yeah like I was really proud of myself I thought I'm really good at this Mm -hmm. Um, but actually you don't get rid of everything and the damage that you're doing to your body and the physiological changes to your body you haven't got away free um, from this so it is very dangerous Um, the compensation could also be taking laxatives Mm -hmm. Um, it could be fasting which is quite interesting because there are a lot of diets at the minute about intermittent fasting and those sort of things Um, but if you're having that binge you're feeling so guilty so bad about all those anxiety the shame and then you're not eating for an extended period of time because of that Mm -hmm. this could actually be um 
an eating disorder. It could also be compensating through excessive exercise, um, almost like people punishing themselves for eating by doing this hard or long duration of exercise. Um, And I think sometimes those behaviors, you can rationalize them to yourself so well that you think, oh no, this is normal, but actually it can, as I said, it can be very damaging. And also with bulimia, which isn't in the classification for binge eating disorder, but it's not to say that people don't feel like this, is that importance that you place on your weight and shape Mm-hmm. And have that as, oh, my brain's not working. Like the source of your self-esteem or a major contributor to how you're feeling about yourself is weight and shape mm-hmm. and trying to control it through these behaviors. Um, I would also say there's another category of eating disorders called other specified feeding or eating disorder, which means that basically you don't neatly fit into the criteria of any of the other eating disorders. Mm-hmm. So we'll put you in this category because it's clearly having an effect on your life in terms of like your health social um situations relationships probably career finances all of these things but you don't meet the full criteria and I always like to include this as well because if you have been to a doctor and got that diagnosis it's not to say that you're not struggling it can feel often quite dismissive Mm -hmm. or invalidating and then you can think well I'm not sick enough yeah which can motivate sometimes people for the behaviors to escalate and things do get worse Um, But actually just to remember that the classification has been made by humans based on our best knowledge. It doesn't mean this is an absolute fact. So I like to go with my clients on what is their lived experience? Mm -hmm. How is it affecting them? And how would their life basically be so much better if it didn't have all these uh, limitations in it? Mm -hmm. Thank you. That's really interesting. I think especially the bit about bulimia not just being the act of like being sick after a meal. I think people forget about the you know, exercise compensation side of things, laxatives, um, abusive laxatives. And yeah, that's really, really interesting to think about those um, other, I guess, types of bulimia, or I guess they can be combined. Is that right? Where you do maybe a combination? Yes, they can be combined. And also, um, you just made me think of another thing that I was going to say. So eating disorders, again, like we have these categories, but actually people can move between. Um, So actually, sometimes as well, people might engage in the purging which is what we call, like I was saying, those compensation strategies without actually having a binge Mm. beforehand. So I kind of got to the point in my eating disorder that sometimes I would have like a inverted commas normal meal Mm -hmm. and then I would feel like I really need to get rid of this. Yeah. Um, So people would also be experiencing that as well as the binging or in terms of a binge too, sometimes it's if like a subjective binge so that means what a person might think is a binge they might think oh that food wasn't on my diet list now I need to get rid of it It maybe wasn't what we might classify a binge in terms of the quantity of food but it feels like it to that person so that's like I say why I like to go on what is someone's own experience Mm -hmm. of this I don't really like to put people in categories but I think it can be helpful to hear about them and understand them I love recommending Time Health and Nostal supplements to my clients, as a Nostal can be so useful to help people with PCOS manage their symptoms. But there are so many Nostal supplements out there, it can feel overwhelming figuring out which one to choose. The reason I recommend Time Health supplements is because both their Nostal complex capsules and Myo and D Cairo Nostal powder form contain the optimal research-based 40 to 1 ratio of Myo to D Cairo Nostal. 
This is believed to mirror the physiological ratio of inositol in the body and may work more effectively than taking the inositols individually. To get 15% off your Time Health order, use the code THECOLLECTIVEWELLNESS15 at checkout. That's the Collective Wellness 15. Thank you, Time Health. What are the kind of symptoms or signs of someone having an eating disorder, whether it's kind of looking at the signs yourself or yourself mm-hmm. or for you know, a loved one or a family member? Yeah, so I think one of the main things um, that I talk to you about clients is like the amount of time that they're thinking about food. Mm-hmm. Um, the term that we use is like a preoccupation with food. Yeah. It might also be a preoccupation with exercise or how your body's looking, checking um, your body in terms of scales or measuring um, and things like that. And that that you would almost be getting like intrusive thoughts about that you might feel like you're thinking about food most of the day mm-hmm. um, which makes a lot of sense if people are restricting because your body's saying I need more food and you're not giving it that food or you might be giving it in a binge um, but not at other times or you have tried to get rid of in inverted commas that food that your blood sugar is then low again so your body's wanting more food. So kind of like I say, it's understandable. But at the time you're like, why am I so obsessed with food? I can't stop thinking about it. often a lot of feelings of guilt and shame. Sometimes people even just thinking about a food that they think they're not allowed to eat can make people feel very guilty, um, very distressed about that. And often because it's taking up, I call it brain room, not very scientific, mm-hmm. because it's taking up so much brain room, you actually have less capacity to do other things. So often people might be quite snappy um, with their family or just kind of less tolerant of things. So that really can affect relationships. Mm-hmm. If you're scared of certain foods, um, avoiding social situations, having those foods or going and just feeling really uncomfortable and not being able to kind of be yourself in that situation because you're so worried about the food that's there it can also affect um people's career in terms of you're thinking about food that much your ability to do your job and I can say these things quite objectively now but like just as a personal example like I was struggling with bulimia like the first two years of my PhD um part of it was like the stress and pressure that I was putting on myself and just to say as well um side note kind of that binge eating or bulimia or anorexia are often ways to cope with emotions that we don't know how to cope with um so that's kind of how I was handling my stress with this binging and purging but like I would sit at my computer in the office and be trying to work and I would just be thinking about the food that I was going to buy on the way home mm-hmm. or I'd be thinking I really want to buy that food but I know I shouldn't like almost try and be strong yeah. in inverted commas but another side it's not about the being strong it's not about willpower it's about understanding why this is happening it's never just one reason but when we look at those factors then we can look what interventions you need mm-hmm. in order to do that maybe that is something physiological like about balancing blood sugar which I'm sure if people have listened to your podcast or know about PCOS that's probably something that you talk about um, a lot in terms of helping to reduce cravings mm-hmm. and man- balance your mood um sorry that went off on a tangent but just to again say it's understandable that all these other signs and symptoms might be happening because of how you're eating and how you're feeling about your body mm-hmm. was that okay talking so much no, thank you. no that was really really interesting and you know I think there's a really 
fine line which I think people struggle with the fine mm-hmm. line between disordered eating and eating disorders and I'm um, I'm a nutritionist so mm-hmm. I don't work with people with eating disorders that's for a eating disorder dietitian and then like people like you um but I do work with people who have kind of disordered eating behavior and it really is like you said that key thing of like so much of people's brain space can be taken up by food and like the impact on everyday life is can be really 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 damaging and do you have anything to kind of say on that in terms of the you know the, the fine line between disordered eating and eating so like when I think a lot of people maybe be identifying with some of these things but saying well I, I you know I don't have it that bad so I don't need to go to my doctor about it yeah I do I think it is very difficult even I think it's a gray area I think eating disorders are a spectrum we have put it in these categories I say we (laughs) the diagnostic statistical manual has put it into categories but I do feel like I say it's more of a spectrum that people can move between these things so it is um yeah it's hard to know when is that definite line I think um if you are making yourself vomit Mm -hmm. taking laxatives those sort of um behaviors of bulimia then that is an eating disorder um and I think I said earlier like it's very easy to justify your behaviors and why you're doing it or really common thoughts are well it's not that bad other people have it worse Mm -hmm. especially like stereotypically with anorexia as well people think I'm not thin enough like your family and friends can be saying I'm really worried about you you could be I know we're not talking about that but just for the example you could be getting a lot of health effects like you know when I was restricting my hair was falling out Mm -hmm. like I was cold all the time I couldn't manage my emotions I thought other people are thinner than me yeah this is not a problem so I think with binge eating and with bulimia or any other kind of struggles you can always think oh well it's not that bad yet and I always encourage people okay it's not that bad yet but you know what if some other stress or some other thing happens in your life that then this does get turned up and does Mm -hmm. you know start to get worse and it's often you don't just wake up with an eating disorder yeah it's an accumulation of things over time and it can be really hard to notice in yourself because you're trying to cope you're trying to manage um I had it wasn't diagnosed but I can see from my behavior looking back like orthorexia which is what we Mm -hmm. kind of think of as like clean eating eating disorder that didn't want to eat refined sugar really wanted to eat organic all these kind of rules about what was like good and bad food and I think dieters often have those kind of thoughts but when it's like I would go to a restaurant and I would want to know what was in the stock powder of a soup Mm. if I could eat it or not it's almost when it it becomes the most important thing to you I would say in an eating disorder and it's very hard to turn off So I would say with dieting, sometimes people can be like, okay, I'm on a diet, but I'm going to go out to this restaurant, get whatever food I enjoy and enjoy that food. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas I guess just an example how the eating disorder affected my relationship. I was so scared of different foods. My husband won, well, he was my boyfriend at the time. He's now my husband. Um, Wanted to just go out with his friends for brunch. And I was so worried about what there was going to be there that I had to cancel at the last minute I literally spent all week thinking about it Mm. couldn't eat it couldn't bring myself to go and then we had a lot of arguments all the time we did split up about the eating disorder and I remember thinking like I'm choosing this over him but I felt Mm. like I can't because I've got all these rules I've got all these behaviors 
I say he's my husband now we did get back together mm-hmm. because <laughs> I always say this on podcasts like we'd booked a holiday together and we didn't want to lose the money <laughs> <laughs> so we were like let's go on the holiday um and then we just got back together after that but um yeah I don't know if that helped answer your question I don't think it did but I suppose my advice is don't wait until it gets worse yeah no no I think that's really useful I think the challenge there is the fact that we don't have enough like hazel aligned or non-diet um eating disorder dietitians or GPs or you know in all kind of all of the healthcare industry we don't have enough non-diet people I know that but especially with eating disorders I think people think that you know, you can only have an eating disorder if you're a certain mm-hmm. size or shape, or if you've lost a certain amount of weight, or you look, you know, a very stereotypical way of someone with an eating disorder. And I think that's where it gets really difficult because people aren't taken seriously um, unless they look, you know, that stereotypical way. So um, I think that's why we need to have more people like you who take more of a non-diet approach and can see that people of all shapes and sizes can have an eating disorder. And it doesn't, it's not just the way that you look oh my gosh in terms of the non-diet approach um yeah I do see I'm like does this sound horrible I see people on Instagram kind of saying I work with weight loss and I also work with eating disorders Mm -hmm. and I think they can be such mixed messages that you're sending when you're so my um I guess philosophy or approach on it is that actually I'm trying to help people be okay with all foods yeah whether you how often you then choose to eat those go foods going forwards is up to you yeah I kind of say to my clients like you might choose to this is just a stereotypical example as well of something that might be scared of you might choose to never have a takeaway again Mm. in your whole entire life but I don't want you to be scared of that food and have to actively avoid it and then that you know impacts social situations and things and again recovery isn't overnight you might start out with having one in a year and be okay with that or one in a couple of months and then you get to oh actually no I can have two in a week if Mm -hmm. the situation's called for it it's not a trigger for you to binge anymore you know you can have that you can get on and eat your the rest of your meals as normal inverted commas I just think it's so important to like neutralize all foods because then again this is not again but this is something that it's easy for me to say now I'm at the other side and I really believe it, but I know it's really hard to trust mm-hmm. if you're at the beginning of this journey that actually with intuitive eating, once you get to that point that you are more in touch with hunger and fullness signals, food is neutral, you can challenge, you know, negative thoughts about different kinds of foods. Mm-hmm. Actually, a lot of my clients, when they get to that place, if they've had binge eating or bulimia before, they're like, I don't actually want to eat those foods that I ate yeah. before in that quantity. I I know I could if I wanted to but actually sometimes I want again stereotypical stereotypical example an apple I don't need (laughs) that other food like the donuts in the work you know coffee room not that we have that so much with COVID but just Mm -hmm. for the purposes of an example they're not calling my name anymore they're just there I could have it if I want to or I could choose not to have it if I want to Mm -hmm. but it takes time and often support to get to that that place 100% yeah like removing the forbidden fruit effect Mm -hmm. of you know taking food off a pedestal I think it's just like one of the key things that I do with my clients to Mm -hmm. try and find that food freedom and then yeah life is just a bit easier once you've you know found that neutrality with food definitely um one of the areas of your work which I'm really interested in but don't know a lot about is hypnotherapy so what are the benefits of using hypnotherapy for eating disorder recovery 
Yeah, so the first thing what I, I will say is there's not a lot of research on this um, because cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT um, is, I guess, easier to apply in the NHS or easier to apply in different contexts. So that has got a lot of research funding. It's harder to design a study about hypnotherapy. So I just want to say that just from my sciencey background or people mm-hmm. uh, reading, but actually in practice um, with my clients, I have found it to be such a useful tool um so with hypnotherapy we're actually talking to your subconscious mind and if you think about you've probably seen it before like that iceberg photo that most of the iceberg is underwater it's kind of like that with our brain as well um, and our thoughts and beliefs that then impact our behavior there's the top little bit of the iceberg which is our conscious thoughts so that's what we're aware of like our self-talk that we can almost hear in our head if you can hear that but then there's your subconscious beliefs there's kind of programs that you're running almost on autopilot that you're not even aware that they're happening and actually um, using hypnotherapy we can it's kind of a buzzword but almost rewire that subconscious part of your mind and the kind that I do we actually um get you into the state of hypnosis but basically just deep relaxation it's nothing to be scared of um people worry this is again a side tangent before I get back to my point but we're like oh my god is it mind control I think we see like Darren Brown or we actually my five-year-old um we were playing my not my five-year-old my five-year-old nephew um we were playing with um superhero toys and he was like oh this one's hypnotized everyone to rob the bank and it's like and I said, oh, I can hypnotize people. And it's like, oh, wow, can you time travel? I was like, no, I'm like, <laughs> not that good. <laughs> Probably went down a bit in ratings of being an auntie because I can't time travel. <laughs> but um, yeah, so it's it's not that. Basically, your subconscious mind is also very moral. I can't tell you to do something that you wouldn't ordinarily do. I only help my clients with their goals as well and stuff that they want to change. Um, so that's just one reassurance thing about hypnotherapy. And often you can be in that kind of state of hypnosis and not even realize it. Like if you're driving a route that you've often driven, like your brain, your conscious mind is almost somewhere else. You're thinking about like, what I was going to say what to buy from the shop probably, or like, you know, what you're going to do later. You're hardly even thinking about how you're driving. Um, or if you're watching TV and you know, someone's talked to you, but you are so engrossed in the TV program that you like don't hear them and then they get really angry um so yeah hypnotherapy in general is perfectly safe um not often advisable if you have epilepsy or psychosis they're usually the only caveats but obviously talk to your provider if you do choose to have hypnotherapy um back to the point the kind that I do takes people back to memories of what's underlying the issue so we ask your subconscious mind like a specific question like what is underlying the bulimia or where did you know my belief that weight is so important or I'm not a good person if I don't weigh a certain amount where did that belief come from and get memories related to that thing Um, and there's a way that we can also do it that's very trauma-informed if you have had trauma that you don't feel like you're going back to relive that Um, but we can see what beliefs did you make then that your subconscious mind is holding on to but it's really not helping you now to be living by that belief and there's different tools and techniques that we can then use in the session to help you change how you're thinking about that thing so it's like I'm I'm not erasing that thing happened 
mm-hmm. and just helping you think differently about that thing so it's not having the impact on your life in the same way that it was um, and then so the beginning bit of a session it's kind of in three parts is the the memories um, the second one is changing how you relate to those memories and then the third part is positive suggestions so some hypnotherapy sessions that you go to might just be this last part um, but we're basically telling your brain then what are the new beliefs that you want? What are the positives? And when you're in this um, state of hypnosis, actually it's easier for your brain to absorb um, those new things. So in a way it's kind of like affirmations, but it's kind of different because mm-hmm. your brain waves are in a different state. Um, and yeah, the amount of times I I give the positive suggestions bit to my clients as a recording. So sometimes it has little scenarios for them to imagine, um, basically different ways for their brain to think about what they want to happen. The amount of times that they'll be like, oh my God, Rachel, that scenario that you put in the recording has actually happened or like that um, when I was really worried about something then I heard your voice like reassuring me like from the audio. So it's really, really helpful um, to build up that positive self-talk instead or positive Mm -hmm. talk about different kinds of food. Um, And I suppose just one other thing to say about it is I... um, was taught and I have found there are kind of three ways that people change after hypnotherapy the first way is the way that everyone wants which is literally like instant change like we've really found one of the root causes of your issue and you're like oh my gosh I don't need that now I can think totally different um so I have had clients who have just stopped having any urges to binge and purge after the session like mm-hmm. amazing but that is usually not the case um usually the case is that the second way people change is kind of like cumulative so you've had this insight you feel like something has shifted it's if you got an urge maybe the urges are less frequent or it's less intense that you can do something about that and you've got this positive self-talk built up now these new ideas that you can manage a lot better and then my clients would continue listening to the recording for 21 days to really add on to that cumulative effect and how I work with clients as well. I would see them one-to-one in that time. They would get voice support mm-hmm. um, when that was happening. So that's the usual way. The third way um, is called retrospective change. So it's when people say, well, I don't think I've changed. They don't recognize it in themselves. But sometimes um, then I would go back and be like, okay, you said this on your questionnaire you know, I can't cope. I'm thinking about food 24 seven. Is that how you feel now? And people will be like, oh no, actually I don't. I still do think about it maybe a bit more than most, most people, but I don't know. That doesn't sound like me. Did I write that? Cause sometimes when we've gone through that gradual change, we don't notice that has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, just in talking to other people casually, like friends or friends of friends about hypnotherapy, they said they've known people who have had a change that's kicked in and the person themselves like hasn't acknowledged it at all but they can see the change in the person so it's really interesting like I really enjoy doing it with clients I think they really feel the benefits of it they really like their recording because it's all personal Mm -hmm. to them so yeah I really really love doing it I have some sessions on myself sometimes about stuff as well I love that no it sounds so interesting and it's something I want to know more about I think Mm -hmm. um so it's almost like it's just one of your kind of one of your tools one of your many tools that you use with clients yes good point because I also thought um really important to say that I think with eating disorders that is like physiological um side of things going on as well that's really important to understand so I think it is important to see a specialist and 
have the extra support rather than just the hypnotherapy this is just my opinion and what I've kind of got from working with clients um because it's not just a belief if it was something for example that someone was like I want to be more confident to speak on a stage okay great probably one hypnotherapy session is going to be enough to change how you're thinking about that but something like an eating disorder that doesn't just have one cause that has different dimensions like how you're feeling about your body how you're feeling about food you know we often need more than one hypnotherapy session and it's often important to know other information as well mm-hmm. about eating disorders yeah definitely I think because an eating disorder is such a complex thing you're right that you can't just you know it's not going to be cured in one session or with one tool it's kind of and everyone's unique like you mm-hmm. said so it might work for some people it might not work for others or it might be you know transformational for one person then like you said more of a gradual change mm-hmm. over time for some people so yeah really really interesting though um so for people who think they may have an eating disorder or think someone else they know has an eating disorder where is best to go for help in the first instance yeah so kind of two websites and one active um thing so the national center for eating disorder um website has a lot of information on and also the beat website so it's b-e-a-t if you just google both of those things or maybe you can pop them mm-hmm. in the show notes they have a lot of information on about what are eating disorders what you might be experiencing um and also then um they have therapist directory directories and you know ways to seek help i would also say if you think that you have an eating disorder then you can also see your gp um who should be able should <laughs> be able to direct you to um support unfortunately sometimes the health professional doesn't know about eating disorders or to kind of suspect it um which is why i usually say if you can afford to then potentially having an assess oh whoops, sorry headphones <laughs> see have an assessment with um a professional who specializes in this area and would be able to tell you a lot more in a lot more detail um based on what you have told them and then if you know that you have an eating disorder if you're pretty certain um but you are scared to get help or um the word that we use is ambivalent which means that people want to change but they also don't want to change because maybe they're really scared to put on weight maybe say you have bulimia and you are having the binges but you also think that you're getting rid of it and you think well if I stop getting rid of it I don't know possibly how I'll stop the binge so you know I don't kind of want to get rid of it because I realize it's really impacting my life but kind of don't um I actually have a free ebook um with an exercise to help you kind of through that so you can kind of on paper like my clients or people who have done the ebook they looked putting it down on paper in this kind of certain way answering these questions is really just helpful um that you can get the clarity how this is affecting you and then hopefully um you know feel in a better place to then seek more support uh the ebook also has some ways that you can think of next steps for yourself which I know is sometimes difficult but sometimes just giving yourself that time to sit down and have a think about it you can actually you know come up with an idea that you hadn't previously so that's also um, an option for people amazing thank you I'll put that in the show notes all of those resources um and where can people find out how to work with you um if they have is is it bulimia what you specialize in so I do specialize in bulimia um I have bulimia myself I feel like I can relate more but actually um I don't work with people who have anorexia um and don't want to recover and are 
I don't know. Um, sometimes I do. It's very difficult. I think I take the person. Mm-hmm. Like I usually have a call with someone before working with me. So I do work with people with binge eating and also the other specified feeding eating disorder kind of category. Um, yeah. So it is flexible. I do um, specialize in bulimia, but also other people can get in touch. <laughs> so it is a bit confusing and, and, and woolly. Um, but yeah, my website is um, eatingdisordertherapist.co.uk. And then you can also find me on Instagram at rachel.evans.phd. Yeah, I was going to say something else, but it's gone up my mind. <laughs> you also have a podcast, don't you? Oh, yes, I do. That's what I was going to say. And then I was like, <laughs> oh, should I say this? Is that a bit rude for me to be like, oh. No. Um, yeah, so my podcast is called Just Eat Normally. Um, and it's a lot of the episodes are discussions with other people who have recovered so we kind of explore what was their experience, what were their insights to recovery. And then a lot of those are author also um, health professionals now who work with people with eating disorders. So it's got that advice element um, of like practical tips and things as well that you can start to implement. And yeah, I've had lots of really positive feedback from people who are kind of saying like, I couldn't even describe what I was going through. And then I heard someone else say it and I thought, yes, mm. that is it. Um, so if you know if you've enjoyed this episode and you do want to find out more especially if you were a more auditory kind of person I think sometimes just reading stuff is a bit flat especially just reading the criteria is a bit flat you can't really engage with it and understand it so I think I'm more auditory and visual like I enjoy podcasts and hearing the information from like real people rather than just reading it yeah amazing I think like you said um everyone's eating disorder is so different if you can hear loads of different people's mm-hmm. experiences then you are probably going to relate to someone so uh yeah definitely recommend um Rachel's podcast and like I said I'll put everything in the show notes so you can go and check that out but thank you so much for joining me today it's been a pleasure thank you for having me thank you for listening to the PCOS Collective if you've enjoyed today's podcast please rate review and subscribe and join me every Wednesday for a new episode 